As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. Selling a little... Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and to Aboriginal elders emerging. Hi friends, thanks to all of you who've been joining us on Saturday nights for our live chats on YouTube. We're really enjoying them a lot and all you have to do is get onto our YouTube page at 8pm on Saturday night. It's Australian True Crime Podcast on YouTube and you can just type questions and comments and we can chat back. It's very cool. There's lots of great episode suggestions coming in through those chats too, which we love. I didn't end up joining on Saturday night because I was sitting at my makeup desk, my makeup mirror, getting ready and I heard a huge explosion and I ran out my backyard, my back door and... I found that my mother had almost blown her hand off in a freak soda stream accident. True story. I had one eye done with makeup. It was perfect. But I had to call triple zero and wipe the makeup off before the ambulance got here. And then we spent the night at Sunshine Hospital watching another lady vomit on the floor in the emergency waiting area for five hours. But for one of those hours, I got to watch Emily do the YouTube live chat and it was really cool. 
It actually took my mind off worrying that I was inhaling airborne pathogens from the vomit that was exploding from the other lady. So I can vouch for how good it is. And it's completely free. It's just a testament to how badly Emily and I want to talk to grown-ups on a Saturday night but can't get babysitters. So this is what we've come up with. You should get involved if you're in a similar predicament. Uh, thank you very much to our newest patrons as well. Louise, Hayley Abbott, Claire Caldo, Carolyn Marshall, Alison Winters. I hope you watch RuPaul's Drag Race, otherwise that will seem really bizarre. Sarah Moon, Susan Kalansky, Shaley Purvis. Any relation to Shirley Purvis? That'll probably seem bizarre anyway. Alyssa Lancaster, Lisa Beer, Kate Sinclair, Mark Butler, Alice Anwar, Amanda Tells Stott, Vicky Newland. Thank you so much. They have all pledged actual cash to help us keep this baby going in and around our jobs, our children and exploding old folk. And in return, they get extra episodes like last week's episode with the ABC's head court reporter, Jamel Wells. And we've also got an upcoming episode just for our patrons in which Charlie Bazina explains why Boris Rostevsky received a sentence that I know a lot of us think he's really underwhelming for killing his wife, Karen. Charlie will explain how that works just for our patrons in coming weeks. Our patrons also get first chop at tickets to live events and heads up Melbourne and Sydney. There are more of those on the horizon. Okay, on with the show. The following podcast contains content of a graphic, violent nature and is not suitable for children. She had said to me too that um, she felt dirty when she went to school and she felt that everyone was looking at her because of what she was doing with Alan. Best friends Julianne Lay and Vicky Arnold, both in their late 20s, were found dead in Julianne's four-wheel drive off a remote track in the Atherton Tablelands in far north Queensland in 1991. Although quickly ruled a murder-suicide, it just as quickly became the subject of rumour and speculation throughout the country because so much about the hypothesis the police presented and the crime scene itself just didn't add up. This is Australian True Crime with Michelle Laurie and Emily Webb. Come with us as we go beyond the news cycle to find out how people become killers, how people become victims and what happens next. The speculation intensified when a local journalist started breaking incredible stories of police ineptitude and just downright laziness. First, a funeral home attendant revealed a horrifying story that outraged the nation and then one of the dead women's relatives entrusted him with a possible motive for an as-yet uninvestigated person of interest. Award-winning journalist Robert Reed has been reporting the happenings of Far North Queensland to the rest of Australia and the rest of the world for 30 years. But there's no denying that this case, above all others, has been his focus and his passion for much of that time. He's written multiple best-selling books about it, built and maintained personal relationships with some of the main players. And he's been accused in the Supreme Court of having too close a relationship with a coroner investigating the case. Just weeks ago, Robert and his wife joined the accused killer's family to comfort her dying mother on her deathbed. 
Robert joins us to tell us about this fascinating case and the last twist it revealed only a couple of years ago that changed everything for him once again. Dickie Arnold and Julianne Lay allegedly went fishing to Lake Tinaru nearby on a very, very cold July uh, winter's night, ill-equipped for outdoor fishing. But Julianne's husband, Alan Lay, told police later that they said they were going fishing. Now, it's only his word. But they disappeared that night best friends, and two weeks later they were found on a lonely bush track at Cherry Tree Creek by trail bike riders, young riders, and they were both dead in the vehicle. So that was immediately called called a murder-suicide by police who arrived at the scene. There was no investigation into a double murder. Murder Murder-suicide, end of story, and I smelled a rat. And um, uh, Vida Arnold's sister, Vicky's aunt, also smelled a rat and she lobbied the hierarchy in Brisbane, the police hierarchy, uh, that things weren't right. And I, over the, then I got involved and started writing about the case. Right from the very beginning when these two women were found together in the car and the reportage always included the, the same photographs and they were mm. photographs of the wedding, um, Julianne's wedding photo and her Vicky as her bridesmaid, Vicky wearing a bright red bridesmaid dress yeah. and very much in the style of the day. With the lace at the front yes. and the baby's breath in the hair. Yeah. Um, and so these are always the, it's always the image that pops into my mind whenever I think of them. Uh, Mrs Arnold and the Arnold family stuck by their guns and refused, refused to believe that Vicky did that and never could have done such a thing. She was a gentle person. They had no history of violence, had no history of mental issues, and, and yet she was supposed to have cold-bloodedly murdered her best friend no motive whatsoever, and then commit suicide on this lonely, freezing cold bush track. So it never made sense then and it doesn't today. But what was the theory that was put together to explain why Vicky might have done that? that there were lots of rumours and, again, I always visualise that photo. The, that photo was sort of used to describe yeah. or explain these snide rumours about their relationship or about their feelings toward each other or whatever. Mm. Wasn't it that Vicky, they surmised Vicky was in love with Julie and Julianne and there was some sort of love triangle? That didn't happen. That was a rumour that circulated when they disappeared. The rumours were going around the place, uh, this not very large country town, Atherton, and that they'd run off, they'd run off together and they were, they were lesbians. But that was certainly, certainly not true. The uh, motive that police gave to this crime for, uh, for Vicky doing this, very, very thin motive, that uh, Vicky was jealous she was very lonely and very jealous of um, Julianne's relationship with her husband, like being married. They certainly weren't happily married. That she was lo- lonely and in a fit of jealous rage, killed her friend and then herself. But that didn't hold water. That certainly wasn't the case. 
There was no motive whatsoever. The crime scene suggested that Julianne had been attacked brutally, didn't it? Oh, yeah. Look, it was... It was Julianne was behind the wheel. She was the driver. It was her vehicle, her vehicle, four-wheel drive vehicle. She'd been shot twice in the head, fatally um, in the temple. Uh, she had a seatbelt wrapped around her throat twice and obviously pulled tight from behind, and that couldn't be done by, uh, by Vicky. And she'd been slashed across the throat with a knife and bashed with a large rock. Now, Vicky was supposed to have done this and then killed herself by shooting herself behind the right ear. She was found slumped in the floor well on the passenger side of the vehicle, yeah. A very gruesome scene. There had to have been a third person to do that. It was frenzied. It must have been frenzied. And one of Vicky's shoes was found further up uh, the track. We don't know how that happened. Or we think the only reason for that shoe being there was that she was out of the car and dragged back in and found in the floor where the police later photographed her. That's another unexplained part of the scenario, that shoe of hers up on the track, one shoe. What's your theory as to why the police accepted that that bizarre theory of theirs? Why, why didn't they investigate further? Well, there's always rumours of, oh, the police, the police did this, the police were involved, but no. They were lazy country coppers. There were two, uh, one detective and one uniformed police officer who, who were on the, on the scene earlier after the bodies were found by the, the kids on the bikes. They didn't like the scenario. They wanted the scene preserved until scenes of crime officers arrived from Brisbane. They volunteered to stay, with, stay there, light a fire and stay there overnight, secure the scene, but the senior policeman on the tablelands who arrived later, he overruled that. He said, no, I can see it's a murder-suicide. Vicky's hand is on the gun. We don't want any talk of a double murder. He ordered the vehicle and the bodies removed from the scene. Uh, the vehicle was taken to Youngerborough Police Station, left out in the open with a tarp thrown over it, and nobody. this was a Friday night, nobody went near it until Monday. That's terrible because you think the basics of policing is securing a crime scene. I'm I'm not a police officer, but even I know that from watching yeah. TV. Look in in the latest in the latest um, the last um, coroner's inquest, a senior police officer from Brisbane said uh, that wouldn't happen today. It was a cold, a very cold August night near Herberton, Cherry Tree Creek near Herberton, and that is a very cold town. It's very high. And, of course, this is getting on to dark when the boys found the bodies and by the time the police got rid of the uh, the vehicle and the bodies, it was dark and cold. They were lazy country coppers, even though two of them smelled a rat. Yeah. They were overruled. Oh, it's very rare that uh, there's murder-suicides involving women and certainly I um, at that time there had never, ever been anything like that, had there? Like it's it's just... Women don't tend to brutally murder like that. So, I mean, that's just a bit of pop psychology, I guess, but there's stats to back that up. Yes, there are. And Michael Barnes ordered or asked for a, a psychological report into that very thing, women killing women and then themselves. And they came up with zero in, in, in Queensland and very, very few worldwide. 
it's a very thin, a very thin um, line to take with what happened to those two women. Nevertheless, Vicky Arnold was called a murderer. Yeah. Um, she was identified as a murderer after this event and two weeks after the bodies were found, cut-off pieces of the gun and other paraphernalia related were found in a pillowcase in her carport. It was later uh, concluded that they were not there during an initial search, so it's suspected they were planted there. But from the perspective of her family, and you've spoken earlier about your relationship with her mum, Vida, can you talk to us about the toll that all of that took on her family for all of the years that Vicky was suspected and called a murderer? Yeah. Um, I became very close to Vida, and over the years she would tell me regularly, Robert, I've hardly had a, a good night's sleep since they called Vicky a murderer. She told me that many times, right up to recent times when she was in, uh, in, uh, in a nursing home. So she lived with that all those years and never believed for one minute or second that Vicky was capable of doing something like that. And that really, anyone who knew, and everyone, anyone and everyone, and that there are many people around Atherton, and they still talk to me about it, all those people who knew Vicky, worked with her, socialised with her, they say unanimously, Vicky Arnold could not possibly have done that crime. And I get out and about um, with my books and people still come up to me and say, well, did you know that I knew Vicky? I worked. I said, no, tell me. And the crime is still vivid. Um in people's minds. How did you go about doing your investigations to kind of uncover your other theory about who could have done this? You start with someone, interview someone, someone close to the action. And in this case, it was the Arnold family. And um, then you go on from there, don't you? You uncover something. I uncovered the, the um, I, I broke, broke the story about uh, police officers from Townsville Coming up on the day of the funerals, both women were buried on the same day, in the funeral parlour, cutting their hands off because they'd neglected to take uh, fingerprints. I remember that story oh, now. No. You mentioned that. It's horrifying. No. They had. They said later, when I found out who it was, that they had to take the hands back to Townsville and put, put them in a special solution so they could get the fingerprints. And when uh, I found that out... I was talking to a, a copper on the phone in Townsville and he blurted it out. And I said, so it was you? And he said, yeah, it was me. And then, of course, uh, the family got in touch with the, through me, got in touch with the government of the day and the police minister and it was an outrage. It went right across Australia that they'd taken the hands and, and in the end, months later, it was ordered that the uh, the bodies were exhumed, taken back to the uh, um, funeral parlour, and the hands were put back in the fresh coffins of the deceased. And after that, the law was changed, so that to this day, even if it, even if it's body tissue or any any part of a deceased, the family has to be notified in, as as a matter of course before that that action is taken. So. It's different now. I was present when 
with the families when the bodies were exhumed and the, the body bags were take, taken out of the coffins and taken back to the funeral parlour and put in fresh coffins and reburied. So that's pretty pretty heavy stuff. Mm. By this time, everyone's in an uproar. This was splashed on the front pages of many, many newspapers and uh, was never heard of before. And I know how I found out a funeral parlour employee told me because I was interviewing him and he told me. After the break, another cruel twist is delivered to the families of the dead women. Coming up on Australian True Crime, Robert presents his final surprising theory. But first, he tells us about his recent experience joining accused murderer Vicky Arnold's family as they comforted her mother, Vida, on her deathbed. He'd gone so far above and beyond his remit as a journalist by that stage to try to clear Vicky's name for the sake of her mum, and we wondered if he felt good about that. We were there while Vida was dying the other day and with her family, uh, nieces and one of Vida's uh, elderly sisters. And, yeah, they, they did say that to me and, and they were crying and, of course, yeah, all I've done, you know, that's my job. That's above and beyond your job, I think, Robert. I think you're just a very good person. Oh, well, thank you. And I, I suppose I am. But, I mean, there's a lot of people, a lot of writers like me. Um, that's the job. That's my job, you know. You question the police until they either admit things or they don't. And in this case, um, the police weren't allowed to talk to, talk to me. All is from above. Especially Mick Hayes, who's now deceased himself, who was a detective who wanted the crime scene preserved. Uh, and so he wasn't allowed to talk to me. I knew he wanted to, but he was told not to. When you interviewed the person at the funeral home and they divulged to you that police had come in and cut the hands off the victims, I'm assuming that you told the family before you reported the story. Oh, Yes. Tell us about that moment when you had to go and tell the families that that had happened. Oh, oh well, they just shook their heads and they, they were stunned. They were mortified. And how were you? I mean, how did you prepare yourself to have to break that news to them that, and, and that you had to report that? Oh, well, I had to. Yeah. I had to. This is, this is a, another strange aspect. At that time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The police media unit was only had one former copper who fielded questions from the media, one person. and. He berated me over the phone. He said, Robert, why did you do this? Why, why, why did you write this story and upset the family? Oh. I said, listen, you should know that it's my job. If I found, I found that out by, by investigating, and do you think I'm just going to sit on that and not tell the family and not report it? He said, well, you've upset them. I said, well, pick up the phone and ring Mrs Arnold and ask her. Because I'm telling you right now, they'd support me in what I, what I did, even though they were terribly upset. Everyone was, everyone, the whole town, the whole country. So don't tell me that I did the wrong thing by reporting this case. No, yeah. I mean, it's just such an incredibly invasive thing to have happen to you. I, I didn't think for a moment that you had <laughs> invaded their privacy or invaded no. their... Uh, no. experience. I thought the police coming in and and doing that because they hadn't remembered to take fingerprints was was where oh. the cock up happened. You know. Uh, well, look, it's 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 almost beyond. You can't oh. make this stuff up, can no. you? No, it kind of plays <laughs> into that um, oh. those stereotypes of Queensland back then, like as being yeah. just a bit of a like, well, you know, the Sir Joe Bielke years and all that, just yes. being a bit. Bumbling, I really. think we were out of those by then, weren't we? Yeah. Just, just, yeah. Uh, we're out of out of Joe Bielke Peterson, yeah, just, yeah. But I mean, uh, the police were just, just a closed a closed book. When I started writing about it, they sent up a um, a, a police detective to go around and interview people up here again, and it was later admitted to me that he was sent up just to calm the natives, just go up and talk to them. Mm-hmm. Don't do serious investigating. It's all been done. It was a murder suicide. Uh. Go up and calm them down, and that's what happened. And over the over the years, there were a total of five separate investigations and three inquests. So this thing was simmering away and wouldn't go away. Yeah, because it was wrong. Robert, what can you tell us about the suspect? who was identified uh, in 2013 in this case, a person who's described as being involved in organised crime and drugs. Yeah, yep, yep. Chris Dunley. Okay, Chris Chris Dunley uh, was a notorious standover man uh, from up here, up, up on the Tablelands. Uh, his modus operandi was to rip off uh, uh, marijuana crops that others had grown. 
he was absolutely feared and he was a brutal, uh, violent, violent man. Now, he, he moved his operation down to, down to, um, around Bundaberg and he was growing dope down there and he had a couple of blokes who were minding the crops for him and helping him stand over the, 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 the growers and rip off their crops. So he had said to them, you do as I say or I'll kill you, I'll rape your women and I'll kill you like I did those two bitches up north. Okay. Now, now one, one of the assassins, they were both caught and they both admit, admitted that they shot him to, to get in first, which they did. They laid in wait for him outside his farmhouse and shot him when he came out to turn off the generator that night. He was lighting a cigarette and they, well, virtually assassinated him. And so when I heard the story from one of the prisoners who was in, in jail down there through his wife, he asked her to get in touch with me and, and tell me what Dunley had told him about the women up north. You hear these things all the time. I dismissed it at first. However, um, it was always in the back of my mind, after the third inquest, a couple came to me, an elderly couple, and they said that they had a shop in Yungaburra when the women went missing, a general grocery store. And they said one morning in that same week, they can't tell me whether it was actually the same night that they went missing or the next night or the night after that. But early one morning that opened their shop, and Chris Dunley came in with two women, and and the, the elderly couple described the women, and they said, we don't know if it was Vicky and Julianne or not, but the description fits their body shapes. And we knew Chris Dunley because we had a milk run in, in Ravenshoe where he lived, and he worked for us. So we knew him, and he knew us. But he didn't expect us to be there owning that shop, and he was in a hurry to get the girls out of the shop, nervous and w wanted to get, get out there and get, and get away. And one of the women said, we've been fishing all night. I've got to get home and get the kids off to school. So she bought some cream buns and they left. Now, so it was many years until this couple came to me and told me, and they said they hadn't done anything about it because they didn't want to get involved and they didn't think it would matter until Chris Dunley's name came up in my books. So I sat on that and I thought, oh, oh I'm not going to rush off into print. Mm. This story uh, sounds incredible. But, do you know, over weeks, and I got a stat deck from them, I got them to my house for, for lunch one day and a wife uh, met them. And I couldn't shake them. And and to this day, I am convinced that that happened. They had nothing to gain. I said, there's no money in this or anything. All you'll get is a lot of attention from the media. But do you want to do it? And they did. And uh, the TV, there was a TV interview, and then I wrote about it. And I was convinced. So in my third book, The Search, 
I've got really? Chris Dunley wow. as the actual shooter. I went to the house that uh, the Lays lived in, in Atherton. I got permission to come around and walk through the house. Having gone from Atherton, from that house, up to the crime scene, I could not get out and lay out of the house that night. Up there, kill the women somehow, and back in the house, you'd be covered in blood. Vanessa was in the house. She was 16 at this time. Mm. And the other children in that famous photograph, they were in the house. I can't get him up Cherry Tree Creek, about 13 k's, back in the house, cleaned up into bed. What what did he do with his clothes? He didn't burn them. And then get into his van and and drive off pretending nothing had happened. I couldn't and I can't. I can't get get him up there to do the actual murders. So, and everyone I've spoken to then and since said, yep, Chris would have done that. He, he would have been paid. And I've got, I don't have Alan Lee off the hook. I know he knew what was going to happen. When did we find out about the uh, situation, I'm going to call it, but with Vanessa Stewart? Van- Vanessa's... Um, Julianne's half-sister? Half-sister. Okay, so when did, we, when did we find out about the relationship between Alan and Julianne's half-sister, Vanessa? When she told me. She told you. You were the person who found out about it. Yeah, yeah. My goodness, tell us about that. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm still in touch with Vanessa, and Vanessa to this day blames herself for this happening. And, of course, he coached her for sex from the age of 15 that started, touching her neck and taking her out on, on, it was a carpet layer, taking her out on jobs and stroking her and this sort of stuff. She was a child. She had no life skills. She didn't even have a boyfriend, and he captivated her. She fell for him, father figure, and and so when I found out about that, and it started when she was 15, and it progressed, it progressed to a sexual thing, and he he, he deliberately set out to to do that. He groomed her. He groomed her, that's the word. Yeah. He he groomed her, so this bloke has a lot to answer for. He's a bad man. Uh, He groomed her, that's right, and then this happened and they went missing and then they were found dead. And Vanessa to this day struggles with the fact that she had, she said, don't call it an affair, Robert. I said, "You're you're a child, Vanessa. It wasn't your fault. Yeah. And she still suffers. And the other day, I was talking to her the other day to tell her about um, Mrs. Mrs. Arnold dying. And all, all these years later, and now she's got a husband and, and a family. But to this day, she knows it's not true, but psychologically she blames herself that if she hadn't got involved with Alan Lay, the girls would still be alive, which is not true. She's- She's given evidence at two of the inquests uh, saying that she felt dirty and ashamed about her sexual contact with Alan Lay, that she believed that he was involved in the disappearance of the two women. Yep. So she's certainly done her bit. Yeah, she has. She had said to me too that um, she felt dirty when she went to school and she felt that everyone was looking at her because of what she was doing with Alan. How tragic is that? 
So these poor girls, are they're groomed and then it's a very, I feel like it's a very female thing to then take the blame on yeah. for something that is not yours to take the blame on for. You think so? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And especially when you're young and you're, and now as an older woman, she's trying to reckon with what happened and it's mm. not her fault. Um, she still struggles. She said, what can I do? Can I get compensation? And she, she knows she's a victim herself. She is a victim. Yeah. She's a victim of this yeah, absolutely. terrible thing. And, and she was, a, she was a, a child, not like some of the 15-year-old girls today who are sophisticated mm. and, um, and educated. And Vanessa was a was – a, 13-year-old, really, in a 15-year-old body. Um, and it, it, one part of this terrible saga that lingers with me, that Vanessa's still suffering. I think it destroyed her as a person, took her innocence away, mm. and now he's dead. Uh, and that's a strange aspect too. He certainly wasn't the type, from my looking into him numerous times, he wouldn't talk to me, of course. I was the bad guy writing about, oh, me killing my wife and, and 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 her best friend, which never happened. He didn't tell me that, but uh, other people have told me he said that about me. But observing him in court and elsewhere, uh, he didn't present as a person who would kill himself. So, what was going on in his world in the interim, in the last couple of years that you know about before he took his own life? Well, he married again over in Perth. He he had another family uh, several years ago. And um, he had a, a business, a, a floor-laying business. Uh, he operated out of Perth and he had a, a depot in Alice Springs. And, and his son, now a grown man, totally brainwashed by his father, of course, believed his father. So he was found there hanging. Hmm. I found out about two, three weeks afterwards and checked it out and, yes, um, it was him. And he suicided. I got in touch with his stepdaughter, who hadn't been in touch with him, had written him off as a bad loss for many years. But he sent her a note, and apparently he sent notes to all the children, the four or five children. And I said, can you tell me what he said in the note? Yes, she said. He said, I'm sorry I didn't reconnect with you. That is, he did, she didn't speak to him for years. But I had nothing to do with your mother's death. That was in the note. And to me, um, I believe that he wasn't the shooter, as I said earlier. And he would say, I had nothing to do with, you, with your mother's death because he didn't pull the trigger. But he, he certainly he certainly mm. had a lot to do with it. Do you believe that he paid for the murder so that he could be with Vanessa? Is well, that... well, yeah. Well, when we talk about motives, and, and of course, as I said earlier, Vicky had none. He had motive. Mm. He had his wife's insurance over a hundred thousand dollars. He had the girl in the house. The other thing I'm reading about the um, relationship with Vanessa is that it hadn't actually reached the stage of full sex yet, so it was still evolving. And so it seems to me that Alan had plans to evolve his relationship with Vanessa. He he had that motive in my mind. He had the money. I mean, it's terrible to think 
that, that someone would kill someone, a wife or a husband, for money, isn't it? Terrible. But it does happen. So the motive was there for him to do that, and uh, it's a terrible thing to, to think, think of that. But and, and he had that look about him. He had that cold, stony-faced look, black eyes staring at you without, without any, any emotion. And he looked at me like that a few times in court. Um, and now that's not to say that anyone who looks like that is a killer, but it fits the mould of him, and it doesn't fit the mould of a person who would ultimately kill himself, although he did. I'm not, I'm not reading in anything else ulterior into that. I don't believe that anyone else killed him. He did it himself. But why, I wonder, why? Because he would know then that people would think, ah, he died with a guilty conscience. He killed himself. And people still say that, um, but I don't. And I don't know why he would kill himself. What about for you, Robert, now that there's, there is no closure to this case in terms of the fact that I'm sure you don't feel like it's been resolved in any way and yet he's dead, Alan's dead, Dunley's dead, Vida's dead. Where to from here for you? Uh, it's over, yeah. I believe that uh, Dunley did it and everyone else who knew him okay. agrees with me. One one fellow spoke to me when I was trying to track Dunley, his history down. He said, Robert, I'll tell you, when you saw Chris come along the street, he'd cross over the road and don't make eye contact. And he said he was after me for a debt at one time. I owed him a bit of money, dope money, and he was after me. And I booked into the hotel, like old-style hotel, double story with the veranda on the top. He said, no, I begged the, the owner of the, of the pub not to tell anyone I was in the hotel. And he said, I was standing on the veranda one day and I saw Chris pacing up and down the street. And he said, I knew he was looking for me. And I was terrified because he would have killed me. Mm. And he said he was that type of person. And make no mistake, everyone was terrified. I mean, a woman told me that, she lived, lived up at Silver Valley, which is a hippie, hip, hippie place, and there were dope growers there. And she was married, and when her husband went away to work out on the mines, she, she would move into town. She wouldn't stay in the house because he had a reputation for raping women up there. And uh, Oh, God. Yeah, oh, God. awful man, awful. And, and he was suspected on a couple of drug-related uh, killings up here. Uh, but there was not enough evidence to, uh, to put him to trial. So, but the pl- police have uh, have said in court that, oh yes, uh, we knew we knew he was uh, involved in a couple of uh, drug-related, uh, but we 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 could, couldn't get enough evidence on him. So, mm-hmm. so I have no doubt now, especially on the evidence of um, of the couple um, who had the shop and. And my question in my third book is, if those two women weren't Vicky and Julianne that this couple saw in their shop with Dunlee, who were they? And why haven't they come forward and said, oh, no, that wasn't Vicky and Julianne, that was us. And we'd been out, yeah, we'd been out with Chris. That was us. Nobody has come forward. And if it wasn't Vicky and Julianne, I ask, 
then who were they? Who were they? Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll see you at 8pm on Saturday night for our YouTube Live and we'll be back next week for another episode of the podcast. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. 
If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well. So, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out.